So I uh, was thinking this week, you know, this is, we're in a series called God's Greater Story, and we've covered lots of characters in the Old Testament and watched how God had used them in the past to be a part of his greater story. We've looked at, at Esther, we've looked at Nehemiah, we've looked at uh, Moses, we've looked at Joshua and Caleb, we've, we've looked at different characters, and so I, I was going to do another character, and I just kept thinking, I just didn't feel a peace in my heart about that direction the whole week, and prepared my message for Wednesday, and so I, you know, I had been thinking before that, leading up to Wednesday, okay, what, what, what about Sunday, what's going on here, what do you want me to say, Lord, and and just never got a settle, a settledness in my heart to, to focus on an individual character. Uh, and I just began to think about the significance of this moment. And so this moment is actually going to be my final message as an assistant pastor uh, at to Living Word Church. So I, I could just say, well, let's just not make a big deal out of it. Let's just kind of move forward. And, and March 11th, I'll preach on a Sunday, and that'll be... Uh, uh, the first message is senior pastor, and we'll start a new series, and we'll move forward, and let's not highlight that moment, but I just kept thinking, I want to highlight this moment, and I want to highlight it for a specific reason. I believe that it's important, and I wish more of our church was here this morning, but the ones that are here are the ones that are meant to be here, but I, I wanted to talk about some commitments that are on my heart uh, as I think about the future. You know, there are lots of commitments that I could tell you that I want to be committed to uh, for the future of this church. And the first series we're going to do is going to really be about that. And we're going to go through eight weeks on the DNA of this church. And what is the DNA of Living Word Church? What has it been for 38 years? And what will it be for the next 38 years? And that'll be our first series. And we're going to go through eight different subjects that we're going to cover. Um, but I, so I could come up with more than eight commitments that we want to make. But I felt like... I, I, I narrowed it down to four big picture commitments that I wanted you to, to see my heart. And if you've listened to me preach over the course of several, two, three, four, five years here, if you've listened to me a lot on Wednesday and, and leading up to this transition, you've heard me more on Sundays, you, you, you know bits and pieces of my heart. And so some of these things you've heard me talk about. But what, what, what I want to communicate to you, and we're going to look at Exodus 33 as a text and as, a, as an account here to pull some of these commitments out from this text. But what I want you to see is that these are commitments that I have in my heart that I believe will anchor us into the future. You know, we do have a future, right? I plan on waking up on March 5th and coming to work and moving into Pastor Renee's office. I'm going to move, I'm, I'm move his desk. <laughs> he has, he's got the, all these windows around the other corner, but I'm going to move the desk by the window so I can raise the blinds and watch the birds while I study. Uh, I plan on being there. And I have a future here. This God's calling me to be a part of this church. And, and for whatever reason, he's asking me to lead the church. Like, that's kind of crazy. Ask me to lead a church. I would have never thought that would happen. But here it is. It's happening. And so it's important for me to think in terms of what are the big picture commitments that I need to have that will anchor my life. And at the same time, anchor the life of our church as we move into the future that God is preparing for us. Because there is a future that he is preparing for us. It's a future of good things. It's a future of seeing the gospel continue to move forward. So we're going to dig out these commitments through this account in Exodus 33. And so I want to give you a little backdrop before we get into this, this story here. And so you have Moses. 
you have the nation of Israel. And Moses is up on the top of Mount Sinai. And Moses is lingering up there. He's been up there for quite a while on top of the mountain. And if you read through Exodus 32, the people of Israel get a little impatient. And they start to even wonder, we, we don't know what's come, what has become of Moses. And so they, they, they pull aside Aaron and they say, Aaron, we don't know what happened to this guy Moses, but we need a new leader. We need somebody that will lead us on and we need some gods to worship. Can you imagine that? They, need to, they wanted to create some new gods to worship. God had rescued them from Egyptian slavery and had parted the Red Sea and had fed them in the wilderness with manna, with birds, fire by night and pillar of cloud by day. And they felt like they needed a new God and they were going to make a God. How foolish is it for anybody to think that they would make a God that is worthy of worship, and, but that's what they did. And so Aaron said, okay, well, give me all of your gold, all your jewelries, and, 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 they, and they, they burned it, they, they, they melted it down, and they formed it into a calf, a golden calf. And, and I, if you read in Exodus 32, it says that the Aaron said, behold your God to the nation of Israel. And then you fast forward, God, God's talking to Moses on the mountain, and God says, look at your people. He wouldn't even take ownership of his people. He said, Moses, look at your people. They have rebelled against me, and they're worshiping false gods. I want to destroy them. I'm through with them. Moses, as we have read previously, Moses interceded for the nation of Israel, and God relents from his, from his judgment against them. And you know, Moses went down and talks to Aaron. This is one of the most comical sections in all of Scripture. Moses goes down and talks to Aaron and says, Aaron, what were you thinking? He says, Aaron's like, I don't know what happened. We just threw the gold in the fire and out popped a calf. Like, that's what it says. Like, he actually wanted Moses to believe that out popped this golden calf out of the fire. And so, when we get into Exodus 33... God's done with the nation of Israel, but he, he relents from his furious wrath and says, I'm going to preserve them, but Moses, these are your people. So let, let's pick up Exodus 33. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. God's got a plan. God's got a deal. Let's make a deal, God says. Let's make a deal. So here's the deal. God says to Moses, depart and go up from here. So he was angry with them. He relented from his anger, but he doesn't want to be around them. Depart Go up from here, you and the people whom you, Moses, have brought up out of the land of Egypt. Who brought the people out? Just for clarification's sake, it was the Lord. Moses might have been the spokesman and the leader, but it was the Lord who brought them out by, by miraculous means. You and the people, you get out of here to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So wait a minute. God is saying, hey, I'm going to give you the land I promised a land to the ancestors of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and, and you need to get up and go. Go there. I will send an angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, the Havites, and the Jebusites. So not only is God saying get up and go, but he's saying I'm going to prepare your way. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to fight your battles. I'm going to destroy your enemies. Go and take the land. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. But here's the kicker. I will not go up among you. I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And what a, what a terrible proposition, right? God says, let's make a deal. You can have the promises. You can have the promises. This is what God was telling Moses. Moses, 
You can have my promises, but you have to have my promises without my presence. The Lord is saying, you can have the promise, but it will be without my presence. So this leads me, this, as I begin to think about this, leads me to a first commitment that I want you to know that I am committed to. This is a commitment that, that, that is an anchoring point in my heart and in my life. And it should be a commitment that you have in, in your life individually, in your marriage, in your family, with your kids, on your job, as a whole, as individuals, but as a congregation. This should be a commitment we all have. It is a commitment to never becoming self-reliant. To never becoming self-reliant. Moses had the option. He could have taken God up on the deal. Yes, that sounds good, God. I've been waiting for the promise. I've been wandering in the wilderness with these people, these stiff-necked people. God, I, I don't like them just as much as you don't like them. This sounds like a good plan. Let, yeah, let's, let's go. Let's have the promise. Let's have success. Let's have the things we've dreamed of and prayed for without you. And I just want you to know that in the life of our church, that that's not an option for us. It is a commitment I have in my heart that as long as I am pastor of this church, that we will not sacrifice success on the altar of losing God's presence. That we will not just seek success without God's presence. This ministry is not about how many people we can stuff in the building. This ministry in the heart of this church is about the glory of God and worshiping him and honoring him and us gathering together in the midst of the congregation as we read in in the book of Psalms and honoring him, praising the Lord, exalting him and submitting ourselves to the teaching of God's word and maturing in the faith. This is why we gather and we will not sacrifice the presence of the Lord just so we can appear on the outside to be successful. And I want you to know that that's an easy track to Walk down. You know, as, as I think about pastoring, think about being a senior pastor and being the person that gets to stand up here Sunday after Sunday and preach God's word, I want you to know it is easier in my mind to say things that are easy for you to hear. It is easy for me to understand why pastors you can listen to that are out there, I understand why they compromise God's word. For the sake of having people to come and give them accolades and fill a building. I understand why. Because it is easy. I feel the pressure. It's something I've never felt before in my life. I'm feeling that pressure weighing on me. That that it would be easy for me not to open God's word and tell people that this is what God's word says. This is his commandment. And God is telling you to obey. It would be easy for me not to preach like that. And not to preach God's word, not to expound scripture, but easy for me just to do something that is easy for all of us. And just tell you how to have a happy life. Just tell you how to do good in life and be successful. But that's not my responsibility as a shepherd. My responsibility as a shepherd is to see that as God's word is taught, that you would mature in the faith. That you would become more holy, not more happy. That you would become more sanctified, not, 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 not have all of the, the, the difficult, all the difficulties in your life go away. It's the sanctifying work of the word that changes the hearts of God's people. And that is the commitment that I'm making. And so, hey, there may be seasons when people come and they sit here on Sundays and I'm expounding God's word and something, something cuts. God's word is sharp, it says. It's like a two-edged sword and that word cuts and it offends 
I won't be offensive. I can commit to you. I won't be offensive in the way I communicate. But I can promise you that God's word will offend. Because that's the nature of God's word. It is a stumbling block and an offense to the unregenerate. And I will make, I am making a commitment and we need to make a commitment that we will not be self-reliant. That we will not lean on our own means and strategies to build a church. We're not after church growth, a church growth movement, a church growth strategy. We're after pleasing the Lord and honoring him and seeing our lives mature in the faith. It's the heart, that's the goal. Would we take successful church gatherings and programs without God's presence? Would you take the promises of God without him? Would you do it? I'm convinced that we probably would on our weekdays, on our days where our faith isn't strong. We would like to believe that we wouldn't. Hopefully we wouldn't. But let us bleed a little bit. Let us suffer a little bit. And our convictions get tested. But you know what? We need to make a commitment. And we need to say, Lord, no matter what goes on in my life, God, I will not, I will not do anything in my life. I will not compromise my convictions and my standards for the, for the sake of short-term, temporary blessings and success. It is dangerously easy to fall into a pattern of simply pulling off church services. We're not here just to pull off a successful church service. We're committed to welcoming the presence of the Lord, to worshiping him and expounding his word and growing in the faith. It is dangerously easy to successfully do things by worldly standards and not have God's presence. You know, thought about that as I was praying when I felt finally had a direction from the Lord. I thought about the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3. You guys know about that story in Revelation 3? This is an, this is an account where God sends an angel to seven churches and he lets them know the, the true condition of their church. And let's look at Revelation 3. And this was an, a literal church in a town, a gathering of people, just like it could be our church. And this is what the Lord says to this church. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. For I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now listen to the words of this church. Listen to what it sounds like. It sounds like self-reliance. I am rich. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. I am rich. I am prospered. And God, we don't need you. We'll take the promises without your presence. We don't need you, God. We've got it. We got it figured out. We got church figured out. A church. God is, God is diagnosing this church. And you know what is scary? Self-reliance can easily lead to self-deception. Self-reliance can lead to self-deception. Look at this. They say, for you say, God says, you say as a church, we're rich, we've prospered, and we need nothing. But I'm telling you, you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. They were self-deceived. They, they had relied on themselves and their strength and their ability to have church and to do church and to be successful. They didn't even realize that God had left the building. God had left the building. We must commit from the outset of this new season in the life of our church that we will never exchange the Lord's presence for any man-made standard of success. 
And I want you to know that's the commitment of my heart. I will never exchange the Lord's presence for any man-made standard of success. And I pray that you would always hold me to that standard. Hold me to that commitment that we are after the Lord's presence and his blessings, not man's. John 15, 4 through 5 says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, Jesus says, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Listen to this. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I feel like that's my life, that's my life verse right now, the season that I'm in. And I pray that that never ceases to be my, my life verse. Every season that I'm in, even seasons that appear successful by worldly standards, I pray that, I, that this, this would always be the cry of my heart, that God, apart from you, I can do nothing. And that needs to be the cry of your heart in your life. God, apart from you, I can't have a happy, successful marriage. Apart from you, God, I, I cannot raise kids in a way that honor you. God, apart from you, I cannot have a successful business or work on a job successfully. God, apart from you, I can't do anything. It needs to be the driving force of our individual lives. And if that is the heart cry of our lives, when we gather together as a body of believers, it will be what unifies us together, that when we gather on Sundays, it is a gathering of desperately dependent people. You guys believe that? It is a gathering. I am desperately dependent on the Lord. How, how are we going to do it? I've never preached. I'm not trying to scare you right now, but I've never preached more than two Sundays in a row. I try to get Pastor Nate to let me preach like three or four in a row, but he just would never, he just wants to preach. <laughs> Silly pastor wants to preach or something, right? And so I've never preached more than two in a row. So March 11th, I've looked at my schedule for March 11th. I'm going to, on that Albania trip at the end of May. And so uh, I'm getting a guest speaker to come preach in the middle of our first series. But I got to preach seven in a row leading up to the guest speaker. And I think, I've never done that before. So you guys, you guys are going to go on a little ride with me. I, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I have four kids. I didn't plan on having a baby right now. Like this, the Lord just decided, all right, son, here you go. Here's another baby to throw into the mix to make your life even more busy. But God's going to be faithful. And I'm going to do it, and I'm going to preach, and, and hopefully you guys keep coming, and you'll hear, you hear God's word, and we'll all grow in the faith. But, but, but that's how I feel right now. From, apart from God, I, I can't do it. I don't know how to pastor. I have some general thoughts, right? But I don't know how to do it, and I don't ever want to know how to do it. I don't ever want to have the formula. We want to remain, I want to remain dependent on the Lord, dependent on the Lord. First Corinthians 2, 1 through 5 says this, and I, when I came to you, Paul says, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided, the decision we make, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in, in weakness and in fear and trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. Here's the point. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen? Amen. God's presence. We want his power. We want our faith to rest in God's ability to do a work that only he can do. Amen. So that's the first commitment, that we would never become self-reliant. That is a big commitment I am making to you, and I want you to make with me.
And as a church, as Living Word Church, we will never become self-reliant. Second commitment is this, is that we want to have a commitment to respond to the word of God. Commitment to respond to the word of God. Let's see how the children of Israel responded to this news that God told them, hey, you can have the promises, but I'm not going with you. What did they do? Exodus 33, 4 through 6. And when the people heard this disastrous word, that's a clue right there. They could have they, they said, man, this is good news. Hey, we're done. We're done wandering. We're done with the wilderness. We get to have the milk and the honey, and we get to have all the fruit, and we get to have the beautiful land. What, 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 what kind of news was it to them? Disastrous. It is disastrous. The Lord leaves you. It is disastrous if the Lord's blessings leave you because you're stiff-necked. That's disastrous. And what did they do? They mourned. And no one put on his ornaments. It's a picture of, of, of mourning for the children of Israel. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. That's the stripping of the ornaments was a picture of, of sackcloth and ashes, a picture of, of, of mourning for the nation of Israel. So what, what, what did they do? They responded to God's word. And that is a commitment that we have to make as a body of believers. And my commitment to you is that I am always going to preach the Bible. And I'm going to preach God's word. I'm going to give you opportunities to respond to God's word. We're going to go through scripture. I'm going to explain it to you. I'm going to explain it to you in context. And, and, and hopefully by the power of the spirit, light bulbs are going to go off. And the spirit's going to work in your life. And then it's going to be on you to respond. And, and as I'm teaching God's word, the sanctifying work of the word is going to happen in my life as I'm studying and preparing. And I'm making a commitment to respond to God's word. This was a disastrous word. They recognized it would be disastrous for them if they did not, if God did not go with them. We too must make a commitment to respond to God's word. And, and as I was thinking about a response to God's word, I, I thought about the nation of Israel and I thought about Nehemiah and Ezra. The children of Israel after this section in Exodus spent hundreds of years in exile. They continued to be stiff-necked. They rebelled. They, God, God rebuked them here and they listened for a while, and then they didn't listen. Then they listened for a while, then they didn't listen. And the, and the story of the nation of Israel for hundreds of years was a story of rebellion and captivity. Rescue, rebellion, captivity, rescue. And when you get to Nehemiah, you guys know the story. Nehemiah finds Jerusalem. The, the, people of, the children of Israel have gotten back to Jerusalem, and he sees that the walls of the city are broken down, and he begins to rebuild the walls, and, and people fight against him in the rebuilding of the wall. And after the project is done, what has gone unkept, what has gone undone is a commitment to God's word. God's word had been collecting dust. The law of God had been pushed aside. And a whole generation of the people of Israel had abandoned God. And so what did Nehemiah say? I want to commission somebody. I want to commission a priest, a scribe named Ezra, to go get the law so God's people can read God's word. And listen to the response of people. It's a commitment to respond to the word of God. Nehemiah 8 verses 1 through 8. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly. 
both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And when he read it, and when he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday. You guys think I preach late when we get close to 12. Early morning. What's early morning? Early morning's early than 10 a.m. So we're going to switch the service time to 7 a.m. You guys up for it? (laughs) 7 a.m. to midday. We would definitely, by man's standards, we would lose lots of people. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. In the ears of all the people were what? Attentive to the book of the law. They were responding. They were listening. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. All the people stood. Why did they stand? In reverence that God's word was about to be spoken. They stood. They're responding to God's word. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, amen. They're responding, amen. When you say amen, what is that? It's a response. It's so be it, God. So be the truth of your word as I'm hearing it. So be it in my life. Amen. Amen. Lifting up their hands. It's a response. And then what did they do? They bowed their heads. And what did they do? They worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Genuine, true worship has to be informed by God's word. If you don't know God's word, you cannot worship God properly, accurately. If you don't know God, Acts 17, Paul tells a group of people they had an inscription, a sign that said, to the unknown God. And he tells them, how can you worship somebody you don't know? The same is true for us. If you don't know God's word, you cannot properly worship him. And so these people who hadn't heard God's word for years and years and years, they're hearing God's word. And as a result of hearing and understanding and knowing God's word, they respond. They respond. They bowed their heads. They worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites helped the people to understand the law. That's my job, to help you to understand the word of God. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. And they gave the sense, the meaning, so that the people could understand the reading. It's the job of a pastor. It's my job, and I'm committed to reading and teaching and explaining God's word and other pastors as we do that. And it's your response, it's all of our response to respond to that word. We must make a commitment to humbly submit our lives to the authority of God's word. An individual or church that is submitted to God's word will respond with obedience to the ways of the Lord. If our individual lives and our church are going to be useful for God's glory, it will be directly related to how we respond to God's word. A sensitivity to God's word is the mark of a true believer, of a, of a mature believer. Sensitivity to God's word. If you can casually dismiss God's word, if you can casually just say, well, that, 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 that's for somebody else. If, if there's conviction in your heart when you hear God's word and you just casually dismiss it, it's a sign. It's a sign that things are not the way they should be in your life. James chapter 1, 18 through 22 says this. He chose to give us birth. How do do we get new birth? Through the word. 
What does Paul say about the gospel of Jesus Christ? It is the power of God unto salvation. So how do we get saved? It's through the hearing of the word of God. God's word is preached. God's word is heard. And people respond and they come to faith in Jesus Christ. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. That we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And, and what's the response? And humbly accept the word planted in you. That's what we do. We want to make a commitment to humbly respond and accept the word. Which can save you? Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. It profits you nothing. It will profit you nothing. If I commit my life to expounding scripture and you commit your life to coming here and if all you do is listen but you never humbly respond to God's word, it profits you nothing. You have to do what it says. You have to respond in faith and say, Lord, By the power of your spirit, I thank you that you have convicted me of that in my life. I thank you that you are helping me to mature and to grow. And that is a commitment that we are making, that I am making. We will never be self-reliant and we will always submit to God's word and respond to God's word. Let's look at the third commitment. Third commitment is this. It's a commitment to seek the Lord in prayer. We're going to be desperately dependent. We're going to respond to God's word and we're going to pray. You guys ready to pray? We're going to pray. We're going to commit to seek the Lord in prayer. What happens in Exodus 33 here? God says, you can have the promises without me. The people respond correctly. They say, this is disastrous. We can't go without you, God. You're the one that brought us here. This is disastrous. And what did Moses do? Let's look at Exodus 33, 12 and 13. Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, God, I I know you by name, and you have found also favor in my sight. Now, Now, therefore, Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation, this nation is your people. What is Moses doing there? He's pleading with the Lord. He's praying to, to God. God, he's, it's, it's a desperate plea. He's saying, God, you told me earlier that these are your people, that these are my people. You said, take these people up that you rescued. God, I'm reminding you, God, these are your people. These are your covenant people. What is that? That is passionate prayer. It is a prayer of a man that is desperate. It's saying, God, we cannot go up anywhere or do anything without your presence. That is a commitment that we have to make. How are we going to stay committed to not being self-reliant? How are we going to stay committed to responding to God's word? It's going to be through prayer. It's going to be through prayer. It's going to be that we don't give up on prayer. And I love, I love, I love, 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 love what we do every Sunday when we pray. It is needed in our body. It is needed in our church. It is needed in churches that, that people can have an opportunity. You can have an opportunity every Sunday. You can know every Sunday you have an opportunity to come down and to grab the hands of a brother or a sister in Christ and to know that they're going to pray with you in faith. And they're going to believe that God's will will be done in your life. And we're going to pray. We're going to continue to pray, but we're going to pray some more. We're going to pray some more. We're going to start something at the, at the, towards the middle of the year 
I wasn't planning on letting you know about it until the middle of the series, but I'm going to let you know now. We're going to make a commitment. We're going to commit to seek the Lord in prayer on the first, on the first Wednesday of every month. We're going to have first Wednesday prayer. And if there's a Wednesday, I know a lot of you come to Wednesday, but even more if you don't come to Wednesday. And that's fine. We have busy lives and busy schedules. But I, I'm going to ask as we get into this new series and as we do a message on prayer and as we launch First Wednesday prayer, I'm going to ask that if there is one Wednesday a month that you come to church on Wednesday, it would be that prayer. It would be the first Wednesday of every month. So here's the commitment. You guys ready for the commitment? Twelve times a year. Say that with me. Say 12, twelve times a year. Well, that doesn't sound like a lot, right? You think we should pray more than twelve times a year, right? And hopefully you're praying in your lives privately. But 12 times a year, only 12 times a year, we will gather as a congregation and we're going to worship. The worship team will sing songs of worship and then we're going to pray. And the pastoral staff will lead the congregation in prayer. We're going to pray. We're going to commit. I'm going to put action to my words. We're going to commit to prayer on the first Wednesdays. You guys want to do that? We're having a conversation, Estelle and I were having a conversation with our three-year-old, Reagan, Reagan Joy. And Reagan, we were sitting on the couch, I think I was watching golf, maybe. And Estelle, probably, you're probably right, probably watching golf. That's what I do with my time. Um, and Reagan caught us off guard. Reagan said, I've been, I've been having a lot of bobos, I've been praying about my bobos, but God's not listening to me. And so like, I stop, I look at her, and Estelle comes and, look, and looks at her, and, and we're like, God's not listening to you? Why don't you think God is listening to you? And so we had this theological discussion with the three-and-a-half-year-old. And so I've got a quote. Here's a, here's a quote from Reagan Joy Bufkin, three years old. God's not listening to me. It's her first quote. God's not listening to me. And don't you think that, I, I, you know, as I thought about it this week, we all feel like that at times, don't we? I think that's some of the reasons why we don't pray. We feel like because we have unanswered prayers, unanswered prayers, we feel like that God's not listening to us. But I want you to know that God is always listening. And we tried to communicate to Reagan, saying, Reagan, just because your bobos aren't healed in the time frame that you think they should be healed doesn't mean that God is not listening to you. Right? Some of us have bigger bobos than what Reagan has. And we pray for our big bobos, and God doesn't heal them like we think he should heal them. Is, is, does that mean God's unfaithful? No, it means that God sees more than you see. It means that God has a plan that sometimes doesn't line up with our plan. Our plan is like Reagan Joy's plan. Our plan is I scrape my knee, I pray, and it's healed. I get sick. She told me two nights ago, we're laying in the bed. She said, Daddy, tell my fever to go away. I mean, that's a, that's a three-year-old brain. So what did I do? I, I prayed, and we asked God to heal her fever. But that's, sometimes we revert to our, our inner three-year-old. And that's why we stop praying. We can't pray like a three-year-old. How did the Lord teach us to pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? That means we are exalting him above ourselves. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the, that's the beginning of the model prayer. That's how we pray. We don't pray like a three-year-old and we, where we, we, we pray and we think we should get what we want every single time. 
We can't give up on prayer because we don't get our way. We commit to pray because we know that God committed to praying. Jesus demonstrates for us the, prior, the priority of prayer. If Jesus prayed, you think we, we should pray? Matthew 14, Jesus went up to the mountain to pray by himself. In Luke 6, it says Jesus spent a whole night in prayer. We're talking about preaching from early morning to midday. Jesus spent a whole night, overnight, in prayer. Matthew 26, it says that in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. In Matthew 26, again, what, 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 what did Jesus find? He found his, his disciples doing what? Conked out, snoring. I'm sure somebody was snoring. And what did Jesus do? He says later that he fell on his face and he prayed. Luke 22, Jesus tells Peter this. This is so beautiful. He tells Peter, he says, I have prayed for you. Anybody want to have somebody pray for them? Boy, you want to have somebody have a powerful prayer? Powerful prayer? It's, it's to have Jesus pray for you. Jesus told Peter, he says, this is what's going to happen. You're going to deny me. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And Satan wants to sift you as wheat, but I want you to know before you go through your trial and your testing, I've prayed for you that you would fail not. And that doesn't mean that, that Jesus was praying that he would not temporarily fail because God uses our temporary failures to, 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 to build a resolve and a strengthening in our faith. He said, I pray that you would not ultimately fail. And that when you return, you're going to strengthen the brothers. Amen. Amen? Amen? That's what God prays for us. So Jesus prays, prayed for Peter, John 17. Jesus prays for all the disciples of every generation that they would be what? Kept from the evil one. And then Romans 8, 31 through 34 says this. What shall we say then? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will we not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? We are all, if you're a believer in here, you are God's elect, his chosen. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. And where is, where is he right now? The right hand of the Father. And what's he doing? He's praying for us. He's interceding for us. So we pray. If our Lord prays, then we pray. James 5.16 says this, confess your trespasses to one another and do what? Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It accomplishes much. Philippians 4.6-7 says, be anxious for nothing but in everything. In everything, in every situation, in every high, in every low, in the in-between days. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests, let your prayers be made known to God. And the peace of God will surpass all understanding. And that peace will guard your hearts. It will be like an umpire. It will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Prayerlessness. If we don't commit to pray as individuals and as a church, it's going to speak something. Prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. Prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. Tim Keller says this about prayer. He says, Christians necessarily believe we depend on God for everything. A prayerless Christian, then, is a contradiction in terms. A prayerless Christian is a contradiction in terms. 
But we're gonna, we're gonna commit, we are committing. We're committing to never be self-reliant, to always surrender to God's word, respond, surrender, humbly respond to his word. And we're gonna pray. We're gonna pray that God would keep us to our commitments. And then lastly, as we look at the text in conclusion here, our fourth commitment is we are making a commitment to not hide our lamp. A commitment to not hide our lamp. As long as I'm the pastor of this church, as long as God is going to give me the responsibility to lead this church, we will be a missional church. We will be a church that goes into all the world, into our city, into our communities, and around the nations of the world. We will not hide our lamp. And look what Moses says as he continues the conversation with God and God finally, he, he, he says, yes, my presence will go with you in Exodus thirty three fourteen, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Listen to what Moses says here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people? We are distinct from every other people on the face of the earth. What is Moses saying there to God? He's saying, God, you made a good decision. Thank you for saying yes to go, right? Because Moses could have stopped talking. God said, I'm going to go with you. God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses could have said, case closed, we're done, right? He got what he was asking for. But he says a powerful statement here. He says, says, God, you going with us. I'm just trying to prove to you why you made a good decision, Lord. (laughs) You going with us. Your presence with us makes us distinct from everybody on the planet. And that's what I want to say to us. That's why we can't become self-reliant. That's why we can't abandon humbly submitting to God's word. That's why we can't stop praying. Because if we don't have God's presence and we're not set apart, if we don't have his presence then our lamp can't shine, if we abandon God and we let him go and we say, God, we got it. We're going to do church on our own. We're going to make it happen. We're going to build the church. We're not going to let you build and add to the church. If that's what we do, then we're not distinct and we're just like anybody else who has a business or who has a strategy and a a plan to build something and and to do something. But what sets us apart is that we are desperately dependent on the presence of the Lord to do anything. And when we live in that position, our light shines. Our lamp cannot be hidden. Matthew 5, 13 through 14 says this. Jesus says about us individually and about us as a church, you are the salt of the earth. Not you get a choice to be, or maybe sometimes you can be. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. That's what you signed up for when you became a believer. You, did, you, you think you signed up just to go to heaven. Some people are just looking for fire insurance. But when you signed up to be a Christian, by faith in Jesus Christ alone, you signed up to be the light of the world. You guys wanted to be the light? Well, if you didn't want to be, you may be in the wrong place. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Some of you, some people try to be incognito, on their job. I don't want anybody to know I'm a Christian. If you're a Christian, it's unavoidable. People are going to tell. Man, something's different. I, I, I loved it when I went and met with Brother Frankie at the hospital. I mean, it stirred my faith up. He got that diagnosis. 
And that doctor told him, this is a six-inch mass on your kidney. And he said, 97% chance it's cancer. And you looked at him and you said, we're going to believe the 3%. You said, you said, Doc, I can hear you saying it. Doc, I'm a man of faith. And the doctor said, you can correct me if I'm wrong. The doctor said, I can tell. I can tell by your body language. I can tell by your mannerisms. You can't hide it. When you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you have faith in God, it's going to shine. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen. It is our great privilege to be able to be a unified body of believers that gathers to worship and pray and hear the word and then scatters to shine as lights in a dark world. It is our great privilege that we would do that. It's our great privilege. And I just want you to know as we conclude, I just want you to hear my heart. I, I, I am overjoyed that a month from now, I'm going to stand up here. I'm going to open God's word, and, and hopefully you'll be here. And we're going to read it together. We're going to study it together. And we're going to grow in the faith. It is going to be the great joy of my life. I cannot believe it. I cannot believe that God is, gonna, is asking me to do this, is, is allowing me to do this. I can't believe it. And I am overjoyed, and I cannot wait to take this journey with you. And I want you to know, I may not know all your names. I'm trying my best. I probably will never know all your names. I apologize, head coach of Nichols basketball team over there. Probably don't know your name. I forgot it. I'm going to forget names. But I want you to know that I love you, that God is burdening and pressing onto my heart a love for this congregation. And I want you to know that I am praying for you, that I pray for you. I pray for your souls every day. I pray that God would help you to grow and to mature in the faith. I pray that as a pastoral staff that we can love you well. I pray that we will serve you well. I pray that we will be examples. Just as the Apostle Paul said to his disciples, follow me as I follow Christ. I pray that our pastors would always be men that would follow Christ well and and live lives that are worthy to be followed we're here to serve you we're here to pray for you we're here to strengthen you be a blessing and I I wrote a prayer once you stand to your feet I wrote a prayer for you and I wrote a prayer for me I wrote a prayer for our church and if you you flip over the back on the back of your handout your notes the prayers on there you can take it home it's going to be up on the screen and we're going to pray I'm going to read and pray and I want you to be in a posture of prayer with me as I pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would strengthen us as a body of believers. I pray that this time of transition would not be a time of fear and uncertainty, but rather a time of faith and expectancy. I pray for all of us who are worried or unsure. I pray that you would fill our hearts and minds with your peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. And I pray that that peace will be a guard around our lives to protect us from the lies of the evil one. Lord, I pray that as we move into this new season that we would not forget where we came from. You have been faithful to us. You have always provided for us. You have been the strength of our lives and the strength of this church. Lord, help us to build upon the foundation of the good works you have done these past 38 years. Help us to continue to remain faithful to the calling you 
you have given us. To whom much is given, much is required. Set our hearts on fire for you and for your gospel. May our hearts burn for the things that are your priorities. Help us to be completely dependent on you for every good work. May we never be self-reliant. May we never exchange your presence with us for any lesser thing. If your presence does not go with us, we do not want to go. Lord, help us to be faithful to preach your word. May we always rightly divide the word of truth. Guard our hearts from what is not true. Help us to love the truth and hate what is evil. Help us to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may we always respond with humble submission to your ways. Lord, teach us to pray. Not our will, but your will be done. Help us to not become so busy doing good things that we forget to do the most important things. And may our prayers be according to your will and be pleasing to your ears. Just as you move mightily in the lives of your people throughout history as they humbled themselves in prayer, Lord, hear our prayer. Hear our prayer of humble submission to you. We are desperate for you. We long to see you move in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our city, and in our nation. For we know that if anything good is going to happen, it will be because of you, because you do it. Lord, help us to never bury our lamp. Help us to shine as lights in this dark world. We are asking that you would use these weak vessels, these crooked sticks, to draw straight lines for others to find their way to the gospel. Your word says that the gospel is your power unto salvation. Our words are not perfect, but yours are. Our mouths are not clean, but you sanctify us as instruments for your glory. By your grace, we submit ourselves to you. We lay down our own agendas. We are here as individuals and as a congregation because of you. And it is for you and for the praise and glory of your name that we exist. Not to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people say, amen. Amen.